0: Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune via Zoom. Hello, guys. Hello.
1: Andrew, how are you doing? It's Victory
0: Wednesday. After victory Monday, the Vikings get their first win. They're going into a tough matchup in Seattle, so they can't feel too good about themselves um, because Russell Wilson is doing things that we've seen him do in fourth quarters. He's now doing it through all four quarters and throwing deep all over the field. We'll talk about the kind of challenge the Vikings face in the shifting Seattle offense that's now airing it out. Um, The Vikings obviously have their own issues against the pass. And letting up big plays. It's really a bad time to face the Seattle team, but Hey, they're going to do it without fans at century Lake field. This'll be the first time the Vikings play a road game. Uh, and it's going to come on Sunday night football without any fans in the stands for the other team. Um, we'll get to some of the minutiae too, with the Vikings injury situations um, and different kinds of things to look for heading into Sunday's game. But guys, let's start with this challenge. Russell Wilson, I believe is six and zero against the Vikings in his career. I believe the Vikings haven't won there since 2006. Um, Is there a chance? Ben, what do you think?
2: Uh, I think there's a chance. Um, I wouldn't be the type to encourage betting a lot of money on said chance. I I think this is a a bad matchup, frankly. Um, The way they have thrown the ball, DK Metcalf looks like a star. Um, They have opened things up. They have let Russ cook as – the meme says, and you'll probably get very tired of hearing about by the end of the week, As NBC probably. You'll probably hear it come out of Chris Collinsworth's mouth. Chris Collinsworth's mouth. It's hard to say. A few times on Sunday night. But, yeah, I think this is – when they're spreading things out, they're letting Russell Wilson do his thing. I think this is an awfully tough matchup. I Even without fans at CenturyLink Field, I, I'm the big circadian rhythm guy too. I, I think you fly out there, you have to play at night on the West Coast. I just think it's a a tough ask for a defense that still is trying to figure out how to stop anybody.
0: Yeah. Russell Wilson right now, I believe is leading the league in first down throws he's leading the league in how far he's throwing it. I believe in terms of just average air distance um, or yards per completion, I should say. They've completely Um, opened it up. And it's DK Metcalf. It's Tyler Lockett. It's some new faces too, that you're not used to seeing, but it's some old ones as well. Uh, Mike, What's your confidence level compared to a normal Viking Seahawks game? Because this is now the fourth year in a row
1: that they've played the Seahawks. Right. We already start off low, right? Because they they don't win there. It's a hard place to win. Um, the fans is maybe a little bit of a mitigating factor. They're not going to have the, the whole 12th man thing going in this game. So maybe it's easier to play on offense. But Ben's absolutely right. It's a terrible defensive matchup. I'd say the only thing that gives me any shred of optimism is that kind of like the Vikings but in a better way because they're 4-0. Seattle's been playing a lot of shootouts so there's a chance that the Vikings will be in this game um, you know because the last three Seahawks games have finished within a touchdown or touchdown in a two-point conversion so it's not like they've been beating teams like 40 to 20. It's been somewhat close so if you can play a game like that and have the ball at the end with the chance to win there is a chance but you look at the two offenses and who's better equipped to <clears throat> score one or two more touchdowns in a shootout. It's definitely Seattle.
0: Yeah. This Mike Zimmer kind of alluded to it too. This, this, the Seattle team's changed a lot. They used to be, you know, defense kind of ground and pound kind of what the Vikings, you know, really held themselves up as, as well. Um, and Ben, we've seen the Seattle kind of go through, lose this dynastic defense and still kind of remain relevant before and now with Russell Wilson. And obviously he's the key to everything they do. Um, how, how different does this matchup look compared to three years ago when it's, or 2018, when it was John Filippo and an air it out kind of Vikings offense against a Seattle team that wanted to run it with every running back they had? Well, this is the funny thing to
2: me about this is that that week that was last, that was John DeFilippo's last game as the offensive coordinator of 2018. The Vikings were on the verge of being shut out in that game until late in the fourth quarter and just looking back through old transcripts of mike zimmer talking about that team that week that seahawks team he he's, he talked about how uh he said that they've committed to the run game i think at some point in the season earlier in the year they were throwing it a little bit more now they are more diligent about running it running with it and sticking with the run um and he talked about chris carson and, and how he's one of the best backs in the league but Back then, I think he looked at them and said, "This is what I want us to be." And then, of course, John Filippo gets fired basically as soon as the plane lands back in Minnesota. Uh, now it's completely flipped. You you have the same head coach, the same quarterback, but the Seahawks have said, I think for you know whatever reason, how much of that has been driven by analytics, how much of it has been driven by Russell Wilson, uh, is I think probably some of that mix is there's probably ingredients that combine to, to play into it, but this is a completely different approach than we've seen the Seahawks take for a lot of this run. And they've been able to make it and change on the fly. I think in part because they have a quarterback who I think is one of the best three or four in the league and probably has been for a while and just isn't appreciated on that level. But they've also, I think, listened to the idea that, Hey, we, we have this guy. And if we spread things out, we're awfully tough to defend because not only does it make it hard to cover all the receivers with as long as he extends plays, it takes people out of the box when he can run around as much as he does. You have to either devote a guy to spy on him or say, we got to cover receivers and take our chances with him. So it, it makes a ton of sense what they're doing. And um, when he's playing at the level he is, he, he looks kind of emboldened by it, I think. And it's, it's interesting to see the change because they went from being, I think, in a lot of ways cousins with the Vikings in terms of what they wanted to do to something completely different, something that's not cousins. That,
0: the Vikings, well, the good There's news a pun is, there somewhere. Yeah. The, the good news. I thought you were going to drop the, the let Russ cook versus let Dalvin cook on. Well, there's, there's
2: let Russ cook, let Dalvin cook. And they have, <laughs> those are not cousins. So there's, <laughs> wow. there, there's wow. dad joke puns galore with this one. Wow.
0: Um, Let's, they let's cost try. us the headline
2: scoreless in Seattle two years ago, and we're coming for
0: blood. Oh, whoops! You mean you mean the fact that the um, was it it was almost shut out two years ago that 2018 yeah, loss right. we were just talking about?
2: Yeah, that would have been your Star tribute headline the next morning had the, had the Vikings not scored in that game. So we will not be denied in our quest for bad puns
0: related to the Vikings playing in Seattle. CenturyLink Field has kind of been the house of horrors a little bit the last four years anyway, whether it was Dalvin Cook getting injured there last year. It was um, obviously that game that we just talked about with UOC gets fired. Things just have not gone well. Davey Rhodes, the uh,
2: shouting match on the sideline with Mike Zimmer
0: last year. Um, Yeah, things just in general have not gone well for them over there. But this time they're going to get back at least Mike Hughes. It looks like he returned to practice on Wednesday from that neck injury that he's been dealing with that's forced him to miss two games. So Mike Hughes returning is a good sign that he might be available for Seattle um, on Sunday night. Uh, Mike, when we're talking about how much maybe this game means in general for this season, how different are you going to feel if this Vikings team is looking at one and four from one and three?
1: Um, Maybe not a ton. I I feel I've kind of already put this in the the loss column, more or less. Yeah, I think most people have. So if you're thinking about like what's the big picture of this season, you've already kind of chalked this up as a loss. So my thing is like, can they get to the can they get to the halfway point at at least three and five? They've got the Seahawks and the, and the Packers in there. Those are very two very tough games. Can they beat the Falcons? Can they beat I think the Lions uh, somewhere in there to you know to at least be at least give themselves a chance in the second half of the year where their schedule gets maybe a little bit easier. I think their first half schedule based on the way teams are playing, the based on at least how good the Colts look right now. Maybe I didn't think they're going to be that good, but. Um, you know, looks like that's tougher. So if they can somehow steal a win here, that, that totally changes my outlook. If they lose, it's more of an expected, uh, expected thing. Definitely not good to be one and four. I don't think they would feel good about that, but I'm, I don't think they would, I don't think they would change my outlook that much because I've already conceded this loss more.
0: When how different do you think this game is going to be without that crowd there in Seattle? Because we've seen crowds in Indianapolis, Ben, you just saw the crowd in Houston and it didn't, it didn't seem to make that much of a difference. You certainly couldn't hear much on TV. Um, and we know how loud that, that venue can get, especially in a night game. And so I, I think it's going to make a big difference for the Vikings uh, on the road. Maybe it helps them out.
2: Yeah, it, I have the crowds the last two weeks. I have not noticed a ton in terms of, noise and and how much of a difference it makes now we were um uh, the the press box in Houston is enclosed so you can't hear exactly what's going on but even just looking at it in the stands I mean it's still people scattered all over the place it's not like there's anybody that's kind of playing off of one another in terms of the noise that you are trying to make and and um uh, trying to get things going as a crowd and, and the other thing is that both of these road games, there's been a fair number of Vikings fans there. So it's not like it's, it, you talk about 12, I think they had 12,000 something fans and probably eight or nine of those, I would guess were Titans fan or Texans fans might've been a little more than that, but it's not enough to make a huge difference. I, I, I think even when you have fans in the stands, it, it's not the kind of imposing environment that you typically see if the place is sold out.
0: Yeah. We heard Brian O'Neill and we've heard some Vikings players talk about how it does help the offense. You can go in the road uh, venue. You don't need mm-hmm. to work the silent count. You can communicate more. He said, um, we just heard O'Neill talk about today, how they would have to condense some of their communication if it was so loud in a road environment, because they can't rely on somebody hearing five words. They just need to get one out there. Um, and now you, you really can kind of change it up and be more complicated with it and communicate more. And we're seeing offenses kind of erupt around the league. And I don't know if, the no fans really has much to do with that, but I'm we're seeing, calling penalties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're seeing changes and in increases in defensive uh, pass interference penalties, decreases in the amount of offensive holding penalties. Um, It just seems the league is kind of pulling the strings to kind of manipulate more offense. And I can't imagine it makes a guy like Mike Zimmer very happy. Um, He didn't bite when he was asked that question, but um, I think just in general, we're seeing now offenses enabled more of these shootout kind of games. Um, and, and I think, we said on Sunday's podcast with Chip after the Texans game, but, like, take the over. If you were betting on this Seahawks-Vikings game, take the over on points because it's going to be in a situation where one of these offenses is going to be throwing at the very end um, and probably throughout the game, just the way that this, um, this season has gone and the way these two defenses have played. Um, so let's the talk about funny thing
2: on that front, just real quick, the, the funny thing on that front, too, is that the, the points are up, but the time of game is – either down or has not gone up. I mean, so the league is getting more scoring, but they're keeping the time of game from getting to be something that is just too long to watch and be engaged with, which is the the, the cut for that and is the lack of penalties. It doesn't slow the game down as much. So I, I think in a lot of ways, yeah, it's the NFL putting his thumb on the scale saying, you know, we want it to go this way. So yeah, you have to, whether you want to do it or not, you have to be ready to win 35-31 type games.
0: So is Dalvin Cook going to be able to carry the Vikings to victory again? And that's not to say that it wasn't impressive to see what Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Thielen having 110, 114 yards. Um, Those guys made some great plays, but Dalvin breaking 10 tackles and being the engine that kind of drives you there. Um, This Seahawks defense is not great. It's not They didn't get Everson Griffin. They didn't sign Jadavian Clowney. They didn't make any of the moves in the offseason that I think some of their fans were clamoring for, or certainly you saw on social media. Um, They do have Quandre Diggs, somebody a safety they traded for from Detroit. He's been good for them. They traded for Jamal Adams in that secondary. But I think this front is one you can run against. And, And Mike, when I look at this game, I think, hey, if the Vikings can find a way to win, it's going to be by Dalvin Cook again having 30 touches and them controlling the clock and keeping Russell Wilson on the sideline.
1: Yeah, I mean that was you know kind of the that was the recipe kind of last week, right? They they held the ball for 36 minutes against Houston, which you know again that's not the same quality opponent because a day later Houston's coach got fired, um, so we're, we're not going to put that you know that victory in the same category. But yeah, it's you know it, it's it's the kind of game where I think first down will tell you a big a big story in this game. We were talking about this before we started the Vikings run the ball more than any other team on first down and the Seahawks throw the ball more than any other team on first down in the league. Um, So it's kind of a, if a philosophical question, I mean the Vikings run the ball like 60% of the time on on first down, the Seahawks throw the ball more than 60% of the time on first down. So if Dalvin Cook is able to get those, you know, get them into second and four second and five, instead of second and nine, then they're going to be able to control the clock. If they're not, if they're, if they're constantly into the you know second and long territory where Seattle knows they probably are going to throw or are more likely going to throw. That's where the pass rush gets into the mix. That's where play action becomes less effective. So I mean the Vikings' offense is so you know kind of predicated on on the, those things going well, staying on schedule, things like that. And it's kind of it's it's harder to do I think when you run because the you know the the chances of getting stuffed at the line are are, are, are pretty decent. And the chances of being in a second and long which oftentimes leads to a third and long or a third medium, um, you know, so I, I I don't know that the Vikings are, are going to be able to do all the things they want to do. But yeah, I think Dalvin Cook's a huge, a huge part of the story. And if they can, if he, got, if he does what he did last week, they, they probably will be in this game because they'll be able to keep Wilson off the field to a certain degree.
0: Yeah, Ben, we got to hear from Dalvin Cook um, today and he was, it was interesting hearing him talk about not only kind of, the focus he had on the off season and wanting to be more durable and, and adding kind of muscle. And, and I think he called it what we always hear from football players, adding good weight, which, which is love to be able to say. Um, I think, I think in general, we're seeing with Dalvin, this guy who's the piles are moving forward that the five yard touchdown where he's breaking six tackles. I mean, I don't know if we necessarily see the same kind of we've seen him elusive. I don't know if we've seen the same kind of tackle shedding, in the past like he's giving now um Ben he brought up the name Barry Sanders today. I thought that was yep. interesting talking about watching him kind of idolizing Barry and trying to make plays like him yeah, it is I mean you know it, are you are you old enough to have watched Barry Sanders no and that's just it no I didn't um born in 91 so I um didn't really start remembering football plays until Randy Moss's rookie years when I like okay early memories
2: yeah yeah Sanders would have been gone by two thousand so he kind of missed, I mean, he didn't play, he retired when he was like 30 years old, but my gosh, he was, I mean, for any of our younger listeners, go back and find the highlight films. It's the most, I mean, for my money, he's the most, whether he's the best of all time, I think is a a hard discussion to have a running back given the length of the seasons. I mean, Jim Brown, I think would have a pretty strong case for that. Evan Smith, Walter Payton, but in terms of a runner, there's nobody that's more sublime than Barry Sanders. So Um, you know the things he could do in terms of being able to create just that the the ways that he would get himself out of situations where it looked like he was going to lose two yards and he ended up with 10 or 12 and and he certainly would dance around and have a lot of runs that ended behind the line of scrimmage too but he was just incredible to to watch and, and an incredible running back for a long time so it's it's interesting to hear him talking about that because you do see things I, I he doesn't move like Barry Sanders and he said it today he said I'm not gonna be that but his footwork I think has been on display early this year and you see just how good he is in small spaces you know more because of he, he's able to to be nimble on his feet, I think than just the, the kind of body lean and body control that Sanders had. It's not as much of that where the, the big cuts and all this sort of stuff, but um, he he's added, I think to his, his game there in terms of how agile he is. And I think he's also added, as we've talked about with size and strength. I mean, that touchdown run on Sunday where he's breaking tackles and then shifts the ball to his left hand to stiff arm. The guy on the way into the end zone is a, kind of textbook example of of everything he has to bear at the moment and and uh he he put it all on display at Sunday that's for sure
0: that was that was the kind of superhero game I mean I know it's the Texans defense and they had such a bad run defense going into this uh, game so I don't want to put too much on that but there were so many plays that were just kind of extraordinary that you saw him make that and it was the ways that he did it you're right um There was one, even too where I think Drew Samia was like knocked four yards into the backfield and Dalvin runs into him and then bounces it outside for 15 yards. And that's some, that that was a 19 yard net difference from where he was contacted, from where he ended that run. It was just phenomenal. Um, So they're going to need that all year. So just do that 300 times throughout the season and the Vikings should be just fine. Um, All right. Well, let's talk quick about um, their injury situation right now, because before we get to some questions, because we did not see Eric Hendricks out there on the field. We can't speak too much to it at this point because we're doing this before the injury report comes out. Um, But they're going to get Mike Hughes back potentially this week, which is a good sign. And the fact that they didn't put him on IR indicates that this third game was at least the longest they would have expected him to be out from that neck injury. Um, Ben, when we're looking at where they're at, Daniil Hunter nowhere to be kind of found anywhere, um, potentially. For the rest of this season. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of reinforcements on the horizon in terms of what they're dealing with on defense. Mike Zimmer said hey three of our linebackers uh, weren't even with us at the start of the offseason and now they're without one of them was right now in Eric Kendricks. I guess where do you see their them at health-wise? Well yeah I mean they, they are the, the injuries in
2: the front seven even as they get healthier on the back end I, I think have a big effect on that secondary group, because a lot of their bet in the last few years, and we've talked about it has been, we can get to you with our front four before you get to our secondary. And when you don't have the ability to do that, and I think Sunday night is going to be as tough of a test to do that as they will get all season. Uh, well, or at least for the next three weeks until they play Aaron Rodgers again. But um, when you have that problem where you can't create pressure and, you probably aren't in a situation where you want to blitz as much because it leaves your corners potentially exposed. And who are you going to blitz with without Anthony Barr? And and we'll see what happens with their Kendricks here, but you don't have Daniel Hunter. You don't have the run stuffers up the middle in the same way. I I think that has had a, a big effect on their secondary as well. And When you got a guy like Russell Wilson that will extend plays and force you to make decisions on the fly. I think this is a bad matchup. And I think, it's just a tough place to it's a tough year to have all that working against you because the the penalty thing too it's when you're not calling offensive holding that benefits teams that have quarterbacks that like to run around and when you are calling pass interference that hurts teams that have to defend quarterbacks that like to run around so i mean in, in the context of this matchup i think it, it's another thing that works against them and i think just as you're trying to develop a secondary on the fly this year it's a tough year to do it
0: Yeah, the Vikings hope is obviously that we'll we'll find out whether or not Eric Hendricks is an injury or, you know, you hope it's not COVID related. The Vikings COVID list has been empty since August, and that's kind of a minor, I don't call it miracle, but it's it's kind of um, really good luck for them. Good fortune so far, if that's the case, because they haven't reported any positive cases. The Titans keep having them. They had two more on Wednesday of this week. A week and a half after they played the Vikings and almost two weeks after the initial case popped up with a practice squad player. Um, ben, I guess, is there anything other than to chalk up, hey, they're following the rules at least, and it's good luck that they haven't had a case so far, because it seems like these things are sometimes totally out of anybody's control on if somebody gets sick and, and you have an outbreak.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's probably, I mean, they've ha- they've had good luck. They've I think been, I mean, you have a team full of guys that are fairly disciplined in general. It's been a team that has kind of cultivated these types of players. The guys they draft are people that probably tend not to be terribly cavalier in general. Um, and not that there's always a link with this in terms of getting it and making cavalier personal choices, but I think certainly you can put yourself in a position where if you're making more – Risky personal choices, you give yourself a higher chance of getting it. So, um, it's hard to know if that's all of it, or if some of it is just luck of the draw. We we know so little about, in the grand scheme of things, about this virus and the way it spreads that um, it's hard to say with complete certainty. We know a lot about how it spreads and, and what you can do, but even then, it's still hard to get through all of it. So. You, you chalk some of it up probably to randomness and, and some of it to them following the rules, but it doesn't mean that it can't change.
0: Yeah, the NFL has, has updated its protocols after the Titans have had continued outbreaks. There's no real um, certainty whether or not they're actually going to play Sunday. They got a game against the Bills. They're still not allowed in their facility. Grumpy Derrick um,
2: Henry fantasy owner over
0: here. Yeah, the, the Patriots are dealing with another case and Stephon Gilmore testing positive uh, along with Cam Newton. And then it's come out that Gilmore wasn't close contact with Newton. So are there more cases to come for New England? Um, you've got, I think, another case was it the Raiders had a player test positive this morning as well. Um, it's just everybody's holding their breath at this point when one case pops up because it seems like the Titans are showing that when there is an outbreak, the trickle effect of how long it takes for everybody to kind of show up. Might be longer than anybody had hoped, but on top of that, it's being reported now, at least on Wednesday afternoon, that the Titans broke protocol. They practiced last week when they weren't supposed to. They had shut down facilities on Monday after the Vikings game. They were supposed to stay away, stay home, stay isolated, and as they figured out who was sick among the people that were popping up in positive tests, we're going to probably see the NFL, if this is proven, we're probably going to see the NFL come down, I would assume, heavy-handed on a Tennessee team that could have infected the Vikings and and they didn't, fortunately. At least they haven't yet.
2: I mean, I think we're fairly close by Wednesday of a week and a half after the game to say they're out of the woods. Um, I don't know that you would say hundred percent that they are. I mean, you know, you talk about sometimes 14 days and that would take us until the Monday after the Seahawks game. So that you're, completely in the clear with the Titans. And at this point, it'd be hard to know if somebody popped up on the COVID list, it'd be hard to know with certainty that it came from that Titans game and not something else. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that the, the tricky part here is, so the Vikings went to play a game last weekend in Houston seven days after their exposure to the Titans. And that's a fairly good window to know if you've been exposed I think but it's not completely foolproof I, I think if, if this was a league that played every other week you'd probably have a better sense of it but I think there's still that little bit of a chance especially when you don't test on game days that something can slip through and the, the incubation period for this is long enough that it isn't 100% guaranteed that when you go to another city the following week that you can be assured that you didn't have any exposure.
0: All right, let's take some Vikings
1: questions, shall we? All right, we are live here, Strip Sports Live. I'm Michael Rand, Andrew Kramer, Ben Gessling. Thank you for uh, joining us. Got a lot of lined up in the queue, so uh, let's let's get to them. <laughs> this, this first one kind of cracks me up because it's uh, not true. But uh, why do we always play Seattle on the road? The programmer wants to know. It. Okay, not always, but ten out of sixteen regular season games is definitely skewed. What what happens? It explains the the weird, the odd phenomenon of how this always seems to happen because it's 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 uncanny how they they seem to always play Seattle on the
2: road. So I wrote a I wrote a blog on this last year, and I, it was like one of the most well read things I wrote all of last season because this question comes up so much. This. Uh, you will not have to ask this question next year, because I believe in 2020, the Seahawks, or well, at least the next time the Seahawks play the Vikings, it will be in Minnesota. And I think the next two are guaranteed to be in Minnesota. So it is a function of the NFL schedule and rotation. So this year, it's because the Vikings play the team that finished with the same spot, in their division as the Vikings did in the NFC North. So to, to back up for a second, you play six games against your teams in the division, four against every team in one division in the AFC. You play four against every team in one division in the NFC, so that's 14. And then you play one game against each of the NFC divisions that you don't play the full division. So this year, for example, the Vikings, it's the entire NFC South that they play. So that means they play one game against the team from the NFC East, which is Dallas at home in November, and one game against the team from the NFC West, which is Seattle this weekend. Dallas was second in the NFC East. Seattle was second in the NFC West. The Vikings were second in the NFC North last year. That's how that gets determined. The previous year was uh, the same thing. And in 2018, they played the entire NFC West. So some of this has been because the Vikings and Seahawks have been finishing in the same spot in the division the last couple of years, I think the Packers go to San Francisco for the third straight year as well. So uh, if, if you want something to commiserate with Packer fans about, you could talk about why we all always have to go to play these good teams on the West Coast. Uh, I, all three of the, the Vikings games have been at night. I don't know if all the Packers have been the well, one last year certainly was, but I don't know what it is this year. But yeah, that's why. And I think the next time they would do it would be 20. Yeah, it is next year. 2021 the seahawks do come here and then i think after that the nfc west plays at the nfc north in one of these divisional games where it's the same finisher in the division kind of thing so this question will be answered for the last time this week for a while and that also means that vikings fans angst about this can uh, subside after this week so the reprieve is coming that's why but the reprieve is coming
0: got a question from uh, Run by Bayou wants to know help uh, i think it's help me settle a personal argument how is Kirk <laughs> Cousins viewed around the league ben what do you think
2: well what's the argument i mean is is he saying that it's good and his friends he doesn't say it's bad? He, okay. we don't know
1: which side of the argument he's on he's curious how, what's the perception of Kirk Cousins around the league what do you think? Well
2: i think i mean that the perception of him i know with people that have worked with him in a number of different places is probably pretty similar to what it is around the league. I mean, Mike Sando does a, a really great piece every year, used to do it for ESPN and now is at the athletic um, talking, you know, breaking quarterbacks into, into a, in a tiers of how good they are. But I think tier one is that you can win a game by yourself. Practically tier two is you can win with the guy, but you need help tier three and you kind of go on from there. But I think cousins is typically in that and that's based on, his conversations with scouts and GMs are in the league, cousins typically tier two to tier three. Last year he played probably he was probably the quintessential tier two last year. He was really good, but needed a lot of help to do it. And and people that I've talked to that have worked with him, it's those same things where I mean it's the stuff we all see. It's on on some days he's great. He's got the arm, he's got a little bit of mobility, not a ton. Not Russell Wilson, not Aaron Rodgers or whoever you know go down the list, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. He's not that. But he can move a little bit and he's been really durable and doesn't throw a ton of stupid interceptions. But there are also times where you wanted to see him let a rip. So, you know, I the people I've talked to, it's it's kind of the 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 ups and downs that you see with him are are the things that frustrate a lot of people. And and a lot of it comes because of the thing that we talked about at the beginning of the week, where it's, does he trust himself enough to force it into tight windows or not force it, but give his guys a chance to make a play. And we saw him, we saw times on Sunday where he did that and times on Sunday where he probably could have and didn't. So that's always the, the tension with Kirk cousins, I think.
0: Yeah. I think, I think one decent way to try to gauge it, I guess, is I think of some of the conversations you you brought Mike Sando, but whenever we have, have visiting teams or we go on the road, talking to reporters from other teams because they have a sense of at least how generally how fans of that team view players. Um, And the the question I get is like, you know, go down to the saints. And I used to have a buddy named Josh who covered the saints down there. And and the question was always, is Kirk good now? Or is he bad now? Because it's like every single time it might be good Kirk. It might be bad Kirk. And I think that's sometimes the kind of thinking with him is like, he's so streaky that you don't know if he's good or not. And the thinking is nationally anyway, it seems to be um, that I encounter is just, yeah, which which Kirk is he going to be today, kind of thing.
1: I think the perception changed maybe a little bit last year when he won that playoff game and you know had that drive that got them the the touchdown in that playoff game. But I think the bigger, I think the bigger question that people always do ask is, you know, I think they accept that he's probably like out of the thirty-two starting quarterbacks, I'd probably say like he's always going to be in that like eight to thirteen or eight to fourteen range, and it kind of does depend on the season he was more towards that eight side last year. And I think, you know, at other times he's been, you know, closer to the middle of the pack, but a lot of it comes down to how much he's getting paid and for where he falls in those tiers. Is he, is he worth that? And, you know, it's, it's not like if you look at the other quarterback contracts, it's not like he's vastly overpaid right then, or is, is, am I, am I wrong on that? Is he relative to another, You know, ten or number ten or number twelve quarterback is he being paid a lot more? Guys that aren't on rookie deals.
2: He's on the high end of that. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of what the consternation is is with him a lot too. Is he's paid like a top seven or eight quarterback, and he's you could I think make an argument last year that he was that. um, You know, with with a lot of things set up to help him out. I mean, he would not be a guy that you would put in a Russell Wilson situation where it's a lot of years it's been a bad offensive line. It's receivers that have not established themselves and expect that he's going to go out and, and be able to carry the team. But he is paid in that range. I, you know, the, the guy that I think probably is paid similarly that gets a lot of the same sort of frustration is probably Matt Ryan. I mean, a, a guy that has put up big numbers, but it's can you win with him? How far can you get with him? I mean, Matthew Stafford. I don't think I'd put quite in the same class. I, I, I've maybe it's just we see him twice a year. I've come to like Matthew Stafford, or at least appreciate the plight of Matthew Stafford uh, probably more than I did earlier in his career when I, you know, before I was probably covering you know two games against the Lions every year. Matt Ryan, I look at in a similar class of a guy that's had a lot of weapons around him, has had a lot of things set up to make him successful. And has been successful, but is it worth the commitment and the financial level that it takes? Now, the the difference with cousins is I I will give him this on a on a business stand from a business standpoint, he and his agent Mike McCartney have bet on themselves. They've taken these shorter contracts and said we want them guaranteed, but we don't need them to be six or seven years because we want another crack at this and we don't want the sort of funny money at the end that has no guarantee behind it that then can lead to a team restructuring and having the leverage to do that. They have resisted these 6 or 7 year contracts with the massive signing bonuses. It's been no, we'll do this 2 3 years at a time, but you're going to pay for those and and we're okay with that. And for him, that has led to probably making a lot more money than he otherwise would.
1: Got a good one teed up here from Zach the Great who wants to know how no, that's not news. The one which we just read. Zach Green wants to know who would fetch. He's already looking forward to the trading deadline. many things have fallen apart. Who would fetch the most? It's already the given trade? up. And who would they really part with out of Anthony Harris, Harrison Smith, Adam Thielen, Riley Reef, and Kyle? Oh, boy. Um, you know, a lot of various, various stages of their contracts.
0: Yeah, if we're talking about trade, it is. I could see it feasibly. Let's say they somehow end up even if they're two and four, if if they end up losing the Seattle game and they beat Atlanta and they're two and four entering the bye week, I would imagine that bye week, some of it among the front office would be discussing, okay, what can possibly be moved to help save us money going into 2021, which if you listen to this podcast and you've heard Ben detail it plenty about what the cap situation is going to be like for a team in the Vikings that already kind of spent up to that cap in normal projections when they were making money hand over fist, Um, and those numbers were going to keep rising now that they're going to drop. I think they'd have to consider trading some people. So it's a realistic question. Um, Ben, is it Anthony Harris? Um, I can't imagine it's Harrison Smith, but I imagine Anthony Harris being one of those guys that if they trade would maybe get the most kind of value. He's the
2: youngest and they were looking to trade him when they first tagged him. I mean, that was at least a possibility they were considering. So, they probably have done some work on what his market would be. I I think it's probably reasonable to assume that a a team like Cleveland that has had cap space, that has coaches that know him, that could be in position in a weird year to say, we have a chance to go for it. And it's not a guy that is 33 years old. Uh, It's a guy that we could potentially have for a while. I mean, that was a team that I heard talking about a potential trade for him this spring. So I think that would probably be the guy simply because of age that would bring back the most uh, Thielen plays Thielen Reef, I guess, play the most premium positions, but I don't know that Reef is going to fetch you a ton. Thielen. I, I I can't see that. I just, I think they have so few weapons and the backlash from a PR standpoint would be so strong of trading out of Thielen that I, I don't think they'd do it. Uh, Kyle Rudolph probably wouldn't get you much Harrison Smith I also don't think is a guy they're going to move on from because I think they hold him in such high regard and want him to be around to set the tone for the defense even though he is in his 30s
0: I I guess Harris would probably be the guy of that list that I look at the most yeah he's the one that makes sense to me for all the reasons you laid out but also because the other ones just don't make that much sense um I think Adam Thielen is, I mean, they're probably still looking at him in terms of like a five year plan. This guy's still going to be able to help them for a very long time. Harrison Smith are probably thinking the same way, hoping that physically he holds up with the kind of way he plays the game. Um, Reef, they've already pinched him enough. Um, How much are you saving then? And I should be clear, you would be saving money on Anthony Harris because you could be rolling over that cap space into 2021, even though he's not under contract for 2021. So there's still ways that you can help yourself financially by moving the salary and just not having to pay him for the last 10 games. The other point on
2: Anthony Harris too, is you can replace him cheap. You don't have to pay a left tackle. I mean, you don't have to pay left tackle money to get a safety. If you're replacing Riley reef, it's either a first round pick
0: or you're going to pay through the nose to replace him. You can potentially go get a safety cheaper to replace Anthony Harris. And and that would be a pretty big organizational move. Unless you just got an offer that blew you away, that would be a huge move considering what we just saw, what it was like without one of their top safeties in that game. And that was when Deshaun Watson threw two 24-yard touchdown passes. Because who would that be? Would it be George Iloka the rest of the way? And you just kind of prepare for a top five, top ten draft pick?
2: Yeah, I think at that point, if you're making that kind of a trade, you're saying, hey, we're just going to ride it out and and try to – Reboot this thing next year.
1: Um, is there anybody not on that list of five that you would think is? I mean, it was a kind of a limited list. I just wondered if was, we're missing a name. I would have said Dalvin before the contract, yeah. um,
0: but now that they got him under contract, he's going to be here long term. Um, yeah, I really don't. I don't. I don't think there's anybody else I can think of.
2: No, I, I wouldn't. I mean, they're they're in an odd spot because they're so. It's either veterans with big contracts that you have to be a team of a certain life cycle to want to take that on. Or it's young guys that you're probably trying to build around anyway. So there's, we've talked about it. There's not much of a middle class on this team, which then means that there probably aren't as many players that are realistic trade pieces, I guess.
0: Um, We got one question here from Al asking, do you see the offense, the offensive success as sustainable are we on a hot streak or can we continue to put these numbers and points up all season long uh, mike what do you think
1: a good question i mean it, it feels like the way they want to win and want to play is is reasonably sustainable i mean i think they can do it again against seattle um, they can probably move the ball against green bay to, to a decent degree so there's, there's a lot of teams on their schedule that i think they can that i think they can do this against um the problem is i do feel like they are going to run into weeks where they just put up a clunker because they, they are predicated so much on needing to be on schedule. If suddenly they they have a game where they get off schedule on a few first downs and have a few quick three and outs or some quick possessions, that, that kind of puts them, you know, kind of chasing all game, which is not a, a, a spot they want to be in. So I, I feel like their success is both sustainable and on a game-by-game basis tenuous because of the way they they achieve that success is how I put it yeah Ben what do you think yeah I, I would tend to agree I, I think some of it
2: is you know what we talk about with Kirk Cousins where are you going to get the kind of day where he's efficient or are you going to get what we saw in Indianapolis where it just nothing works I mean I, I do think Justin Jefferson emerging makes things easier for him and it makes things just work better for the whole offense when they have another piece but I mean, he completed passes to four guys last week. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Kyle Rudolph. So if you have a team that can take a couple of those guys away, it makes it awfully hard for the Vikings to find other ways to beat you. I mean, you hear teams talk all the time about, oh, we have so many weapons that if you take one guy away, we'll beat you with somebody else. And they, I mean, they have three really good weapons, but it's not six or seven deep. I mean, they need to see a guy like Irv Smith, I think, start to emerge here to really be able to say that with any kind of credibility and it that sort of thing also i think makes it so it's harder to say that they're not, not going to have these slumps from time to time where it's not sustainable
0: all right we got any more questions or should we wrap yeah up? let's
1: let's end with let's end with jonathan's question because he asked like three questions in one kind of the old reporter trick i'm gonna, I'm gonna well, let's do two of them uh, one, he says, any updates to Daniel Hunter? Two, is Josh Klein dead? Which seems kind of morbid. If not, there's no reason he's not our right guard.
0: I'm pretty sure we can say that Josh Klein is alive, although we don't have any kind of proof at that at this point because there's been no reports of him taking any NFL visits, doing really much yeah. of anything um, for a team right now at this point. The onboarding process is getting to be so extended now for NFL teams and bringing on new guys. That's not to say that um, you wouldn't do it just because of that, but – If you're a team like the Vikings, who's one in three, who are you a Josh Klein away from competing? Um, Maybe not. And so um, I just don't think that move makes much sense. It made more sense when you had a healthy Anthony Barr and you had a healthy Daniil Hunter, and you maybe thought this defense was going to be able to replicate some of what it's done in the past, but I just don't see paying for a middle-aged guard for the rest of this year as, as a move that makes any sense at all outside of maybe seeing a few less pressures on cousins on a given Sunday, which what's that going to give you this year when Russell Wilson might put up 40 on Sunday night?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see Josh Klein. I think if we were going to see him, you would have seen him by now. As far as Hunter, the fact that we still don't see him here after going to after he went to get a second opinion on that neck injury last week, I don't think is a great, I don't think we're going to see him again. I just, I think it's we're at a point where, it doesn't make a ton of sense for him to do it, and especially when he's on a contract that is not paying him market value. I I don't know that he doesn't seem like the type that is going to pout about it. But it also, like, hey, it's a business, and if you are not paying me at market rate, I need to think about my own earning potential for the future as well. I'm sure he's hearing that message from people in his camp, and and that could be playing into some of it as well. But I, I just with a, a neck injury, you just you don't want to mess around with it, especially when you're still only he turns 26 at the end of this month. So he's got a long time. It doesn't seem like it's worth pushing it if this is not going to be a team that has a chance to do anything. And then,
0: yeah, we're going to be about I think it was about a three or four week period, maybe where we saw Daniel Hunter kind of working out on the side field. It was about end of August, maybe the middle end of September um, before he stopped doing that. And then he was getting a second. And he was not and doing was, a lot either when we did no. see him. No, no, he wasn't. So it's, it's just not a good sign in general for, um, this guy and how close he's not, it seems to coming back because when you, when you bring up a neck injury, you talk about all the steps that he needs to show that he's capable of just practicing before you can even get back out there and play. Um, Mike Zimmer, (laughs) we should say in in interest to fairness has not
2: yet said it's more than a tweak.
0: Yeah, that's true. It might, that
2: is still the official word
0: from the head coach is that it's a tweak. All right, Vikings fans, so we might come back on Sunday. He's not. He's
1: not <laughs> all
0: right, um, let's, let's wrap up this podcast, this video. Um, thanks to everybody for joining us on all platforms. Please check us out on Sunday. We'll have another podcast following this, um, a late podcast, Sunday night following the Seahawks game. And then, of course, we'll be back on Wednesday previewing the Falcons game before their bye week. Maybe you should get off the podcast.